Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Last time on House of Prayer. Anna Young was very uh, charming, you know, charismatic. They acted like they were really followers of Christ. Well, my mom, I mean, she could be so giving and wonderful. I mean, I looked at her as a holy woman. None of the mothers had contact with their children. My mom was sister, whoever her name was, but she wasn't my mother. There was no hugging, no kissing, no. I knew she was still my mom, but I called Anna mom. I knew something, that wasn't right, but I was af- afraid to say anything about it or speak up against it. Why were you afraid? Who was making you afraid? Anna. And I think Anna convinced my mom Katanya was a demon, too, because my mama had Katanya out of wedlock. I saw her one day in a, in, a, in a room sitting on a little pot, and I put my hand to her mouth, don't say nothing, don't say nothing, and I kissed her, and uh, that was the last time I saw her alive. Your Honor, uh, Miss Young is, finds herself charged with perhaps the most unusual set of crimes I've ever worked on. And the evidence that's attendant to those crimes is also similarly unusual. This case is 30 years old. There is no body. Please take care when listening. Some of this is difficult to hear. They were very secretive, and they didn't have much to say to me. I've come to Micanopy, Florida, where the House of Prayer used to be to try and find out more about the place and the people who called the community their home. They would all come out in the front yard and open the big, giant privacy gates, and and then they would all kneel down, and they would look toward the southeast. I'm speaking to a man named Billy Mountain. He used to live in an old farmhouse that was right across the road from the House of Prayer. And they would pray, and, and but they only, they only said Jesus. It was just Jesus, 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 over and over. Billy's in his early 60s. He has a friendly, smiling face. He spent years in Hollywood as an extra and has a million stories to tell about it. I uh, worked on Men in Black, the first one, although you don't see me much. but The House of Prayer is long gone, and those that used to call it home have all moved away, died, or in Anna Young's case been sent to jail. People who lived in the area remember the families that lived out here back in the mid-80s and how the property stood apart from the nearby farms. They were all scriptures out of the Bible. The property was covered in painted signs. So all the signs were just, they were right out of the Bible. They were all scripture, except for the one that says, House of Prayer for All People. And that was just, you know, painted on on the top of the barn and Beyond the signs, members of the House of Prayer stood out because of the way they dressed, in their long flowing robes, women in head coverings, and the men with their long beards. And I'll never forget, I I started staying up kind of late at night. I'd leave the lights off and 
I would stay up and I would watch them do stuff, and they, they just never stopped. Daylight to dark. They, there were people just all over the place doing stuff. Most of Billy's information about his House of Prayer neighbors came from watching them from across the street. But once, he did get a chance to go inside the house. They took me in a few rooms only, and they were clean. The floors looked like they'd been polished over and over and over, and everything, you know, like the window, I mean, they were just, the windows were spotless. The floors were spotless, you know. And I did see the women cleaning all the time. You, I, I could make that out. They were cleaning, and they were cleaning, and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cooking and cooking and cooking. So, But I just couldn't understand why so much and why 24 hours a day. You know, the nighttime thing was just, you know. I mean, I, I've gone to church a lot. The Bible says nighttime's for sleeping. Billy says town folks did wonder about the children children that were so rarely seen and so rarely heard. You don't hear the normal, you know, kids having fun, like on a playground. You didn't hear those noises hardly ever. It was very little fun time ever. It was always really serious. And then I heard that there was some possible abuse. And then I heard the kids were being hurt, you know, being abused. And, and, um, but I couldn't go in there to talk to anybody. I mean, is there anything I could have done? Or anybody else? Or the police, you know? But finally when they got her, it was like, okay, I knew that was coming. I really did. I I knew that was coming. And it's about time. You know, because we'd all heard the stories. People are dying. Kids are are dying, you know. You, you, You wonder, what could I have done? Is, was there anything that I could have done to help, you know, save innocent lives? This is House of Prayer, an original podcast by UCP Audio. I'm Leela Day. I'll be your host throughout this story that's reported by Beth Karras. This is the story of a mother who lived her life claiming to do the work of God and a daughter who is now searching for the truth. Chapter 2. Moses. Well, this is in the house of prayer homework that my mom saved this is like 1991 it says sister mary joyanna young joy fluker would have been one of the kids that billy mountain saw when he used to peek over the walls to look at the property across the street from his house that i promise i will try to get them the address that you at the time she would have gone by the biblical name sister mary joy this is the dress my mom told me was the first outfit because she, she, she learned how to sew. We sewed a lot down there, too. When I met with Joy, she held up a bright orange corduroy jumper with large patch pockets in the front. It looked like it was made without a pattern, just large swaths of material roughly sewn together. It's a dress that she made for me, the house of prayer, for that full, you know, doing that time we're getting towards dressing differently. Joy had prepared for our visit. Before I came to her home in this upscale suburb outside of Atlanta, 
she'd rummaged through her attic and found boxes of memories. There are notepads, pictures, and old letters. These are some letters that my mom wrote to me. But like you this is how it starts off. It says, Glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, my dearest sweet daughter, my beloved, dear joy, my sweet. You know, and it's just, you know, she just she's a beautiful writer. I don't want to say it's poetry, but it's almost poetic. It wouldn't always all rhyme. Like here's another one that says, um, Glory to our blessed Lord Jesus. Our Lord and Savior Jesus, dearly beloved, my joy, my baby, I love you so very, very much. This is him with his Bible. Joy is showing me pictures of her parents. In one, she's in the middle, her dad on her left, sitting slightly behind Joy on the edge of the frame. His beard is thick, and he's looking straight into the lens. He's not smiling, but he seems happy. On Joy's right is her mother, Anna Young, her head covered by a red scarf that is fastened under her chin. She's smiling, but it's a tight, stressed smile. She was pure, and she, God used her to prophesy. He spoke through her, and, and you know, what she said was right. She was like, in my little world back then, she was like the holiest person on earth, you know. She's holier than everybody. Joy looks to be about seven or eight in the photo. She has a big, toothy grin. Joy's face, like her mother's, is framed by a headscarf. Hers is baby blue with white trim. Joy's eyes sparkle. And she has that look kids have when they've got everything they need. Today, Joy does not have that look. Dressed in gray pants and a sheer top that's even a little bit revealing, she seems anxious quickly picking up one object from the boxes, laughing at a memory, then suddenly close to tears the next. Her long hair is no longer covered. A small gold cross around her neck is the only hint that she still has religion in her life. Right now I'm okay, but sometimes, I mean, I'll look at it and I'll just, like, cry or can't deal with it. Like, it took me, I've been wanting to swear, I mean, there's still a ton of stuff up in the attic. I've been wanting to go through this stuff for months now. I just couldn't get myself up to do it. I, I have to be, I seriously have to be in the mood to deal with this. But today, Joy is in the mood. The mood to talk about some memories. I could be like a kid and roam and climb trees and play with animals and I thought that I was the princess and mom was the queen and that was our kingdom. Even though we lived the way I lived, I mean, I was spoiled. I mean, I had, like, I mean, I was showered with toys. I have tons of toys in my attic still from, from down there. Joy wasn't the only child at House of Prayer, but as the daughter of the founders, she does admit that she was privileged. And we would play and I was a leader of the pack and I was, trying to be a mini Mother Anna. The adults at the House of Prayer looked at Anna as their leader. She would organize schedules, set the rules, manage the finances. She kept things going. But at the same time, Anna was the person that a lot of people were afraid of. Joy noticed this, and today wonders if she was trying to imitate her mother, especially when she thinks back on how she treated other little kids. She told us of one incident that involved a little girl who didn't want to play the game Joy wanted to play. As punishment, 
Joy made her smear sap from a tree on her face and refused to let her clean it off. She cried, and, but she did it. Like, I hate me as a kid. Living at the House of Prayer meant that people came and went. People needing to get on their feet, people wanting to be closer to God, single mothers needing help. And sometimes children just showed up. One day in the fall of 1986, the congregation welcomed a new member, a little boy named Moses. I know mom really wanted him because my dad didn't have any biological sons. And so this was like their chance of having another child together. The circumstances around Moses' arrival are murky. From what we've been able to gather, no one asked much about where Moses came from or why he was there without his mother. But Moses was now part of the house of prayer. He never was legally or officially adopted by your father and mother, right? That's what I've learned. But I thought he was legally adopted. His name was Moses Young. I mean, that's what we called him. And, uh... Because she gave him that name because, like, you know, Moses, like, the basket and everything. You know, Moses in the Bible. Joy was only eight when Moses arrived, so her memory of that time is kind of foggy. We have learned that Moses' real name was Iman Harper, and he was born in Chicago on April 1st, 1986, to a teenager named Shonda Harper. And at that time, I was trying to really find love, and I felt like, This tape is a bit hard to make out. It's from a police interview with Shonda in 2017, as authorities started to look deeper into her son's death. She's telling them that she came from a dysfunctional home and thought having a baby would give her a chance at unconditional love. What happened after you had the child? Um, we didn't have anywhere to go. I was at my grandma's house and my mom was there. Shonda tells police that she didn't have anywhere to go after she got pregnant, that both her mother and her grandmother were unable to give her the support she needed. During this interview, Shonda told police that shortly after her son was born, she was convinced to give her baby to the people across the street from where her grandmother lived. Shonda didn't know much about them, But she could tell they were religious by the clothes some of them wore. For a while, Shonda was allowed to visit Iman. But within a few months, the neighbors, including her son, were gone. Shonda knows now that those neighbors were connected to the House of Prayer. And they eventually took Iman to Mother Anna, who renamed him Moses. Shonda never saw her son again. Lori Vallow was the kind of woman who seemed to have it all. But that sweet girl next door was changing. She's lost her mind. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them. I'm Sarah Trelevin, and this is Madness of Two. Over the last year, I've been investigating the case of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. How together, police say they plotted the deaths of Lori's two children, JJ and Tylee, something they've denied. Join me in Madness of Two, available wherever you get your podcasts.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Joy remembers when her new brother came to the house of prayer. So we're all happy about it, and it seemed like everything was at peace. But fewer than two years after Moses arrived, whatever calm he brought would be gone. My last memory of them talking was an argument. The argument was between her mother and father. Joy remembers it ended with her dad driving off the property. He never came back. Members searched for a few days. There had been a sighting of him at a feed store in a nearby town, but that lead went cold quickly. I know for a fact that she loved my dad and he loved her. And I know that she didn't want anything to happen to him. Four days after Jonah drove off, his car was found, parked about a mile from the house of prayer, on a lot littered with old, abandoned cars, a place Jonah had been known to go to salvage parts. When police arrived, they found him, pinned under an abandoned Ford pickup. He'd been dead for days. An investigation ruled out foul play. Officially, Jonah died by accident. A truck fell on his chest and crushed the life out of him. Jonah's body was returned to the house of prayer, and he was laid out in their makeshift sanctuary. Members remember Anna sleeping next to his body. Joy says her mother's grief was deep, and she remembers Anna seemed to take it out on Moses. He started getting in trouble all the time. I do remember his beatings, a lot of his whippings. And she loved Moses, but I do think part of her cruelty to him is her grief with my dad. I do believe that he reminded her and of my dad. And, and after he died, she, he was just another kid with issues, just like everybody, you know, these other kids who she treated badly. Authorities accuse Anna of putting Moses in a small closet downstairs and making him repeat prayers often for days at a time. It was something scriptural. Like it was like a, either a Bible verse or a Bible-type quote, like, like repenting of sins. He had to say it over and over and over again. During these times, she has vivid memories of the way Moses looked. I remember once Moses, he was starving, and I had to give him some water. And I remember like, looking how pitiful he looked. His eyes were like big and glazy and um, there was crust all over his lips. Like, it was just like, his lips looked like they were like diseased. It just looked horrible. He looks like, he also like some of those kids you see on the videos about like giving to kids in Africa. He looked so bad. And I remember like, what was wrong with him? And he's had a smell to him. And as I was giving him the water, I was feeling so sorry for him and then a piece of the dead skin from his lips hit my fingertip. And I remember I shrugged him away because I didn't want him to touch me. And then I felt like I didn't feel sorry for him anymore because I was scared of him. And especially after dad died, 
in my mind, he was bad, he's evil. Plus, you're not really my brother in my mind, you know, so I don't care anything about you, you know. Well, you know, last time I seen him, he was on a stool in a closet. And I was terrified because I didn't know anybody was in there. And I just slammed the door and I walked, you know, left. That haunts me still. That instead of me like, oh, you're in here, you know, here, let me give you some of this, whatever. Here's something to eat or drink or whatever. Or, you know, don't tell her, but I'll give you this, you know, just shh. Joy admits she didn't offer Moses any help. And over the coming days, people began to notice that the little boy wasn't around anymore. Over time, it became clear. He was gone. The rumor at the time that I was told was that he was given away to the monks. This is the first time that we're hearing about the monks. Joy says there was no connection between the House of Prayer and a group of monks. She thinks her mom may have gotten the idea from a movie. Or maybe it was the Bible story about Samuel, whose mother handed him over to a priest to be raised for God. Several women at the House of Prayer had their own theories about what happened to the little boy. But apparently no adult confronted Anna directly. Members recall that there was one time when Mother Anna did seem to publicly acknowledge that Moses was gone. Soon after he disappeared, Anna burned his clothes in a fire. It was a ritual she had performed before to mark that a congregant had left the group. Joy remembers another fire that burned around the time Moses disappeared. There was a horrible stench that was all over the entire property. This was like the worst smell ever. It was like intoxicating, and it lasted for days. And we didn't know what it was. And my mom acted like she didn't know what it was, and she, maybe she didn't know what it was. Joy says it reminded her of the smell of a crematorium, something she had smelled before. In fact, nearly two decades later, more than one former member told police they remember Anna putting Moses into a closet, mistreating him and holding back food. Two members also told police they believed Moses died on the property and his body was burned in a barrel. It smelled like that, but I don't know if that's what it was. I don't know if Moses was, you know, they, the rumor is he was burned in the burn barrel. And I, I don't know if that was his him being burned. I don't even know the timeline. It seems like it was near that time, but I'm not positive because I don't remember. A few years after Moses disappeared, Joy did ask her mother about him. Well, you know, Joy, he died. And I said, how did he die? She said, I don't know, he died in his sleep. They said it was peaceful, he died in his sleep. I said, he died with the monks? And she said, yeah. I was like, oh. And I remember feeling sad that she told me, and I knew for, then I knew without a shadow of doubt he was dead. The House of Prayer was a tight and closed community. Children hardly left the property. They rarely saw a doctor. And they were homeschooled, so no teacher would have noticed they'd stop showing up for class. For those still at the House of Prayer, life continued on, including for Joy. Most of her days went on as they always had, 
It was the nights that proved harder. After he died, I would see, like, this, I don't know if it was a vision or what, but this form I would see in my room. And it looked like an angel was praying. It's like the shape of an angel. And it could have been a light from outside or whatever, but I would see it in my room. And um, I remember telling my mom, I ran in her room. I said, Jesus is in my room. Jesus is in my room. And so after that, and and, 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 said, and she said, just go back and see what he wants. And I remember I went back in there. And I, and I couldn't look at it. And it was like a form. It had no face. It was like, like my heart would start beating extremely fast after he died. Well, after I saw, you know, him last in that closet, I, I just couldn't even hardly go in a closet. But that on top of, you know, my already, my fear after seeing this vision in the dark. So I started sleeping in the bed with my mom every night. And we would, you know, lay there and we'd watch movies together. And I, I, I don't feel it as bad as I used to, but I still can't shake it. Like, I just wish I was one of those kids you see in movies when you see them, you know, the slave or the child thrown in the barn house and the little kid goes and sneaks and gives them some food. I wish I had those memories of myself that, well, you know, I was there you know, for them. And I don't have any, I have a clear conscience, but I don't. I have memories of me being just as bullying and mistreating as she was, you know. It's not like she was a, a woman who was being beat by her husband and she killed him, you know, because she thought one day he'd kill her and she'd already called the police and they didn't believe her. This is innocent little kids. These are people who came to you for help that you made suffer and beat. And for her to love God the way that I believe she does, the the feeling, the other side of it, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't feel the remorse. She doesn't even see what she's doing to me. I'll be honest, I had nightmares every now and then about Moses, but I tried to block out him altogether. The nightmares did not go away. They continued well into Joy's adult life, well after the House of Prayer shut its doors and members went their separate ways. Joy says there were times she would wake up her husband because she was crying out in her sleep. He claims that one night around that time frame, when I was rocking and I woke up and he's trying to stop me rocking, I was crying and I told him that Moses is dead. I saw him dead in a laundry basket. That's what he told me. I said, I don't remember it. It was in the middle of the night. And he said, I was rocking. And he said, I was crying. And I said, he's dead. And he's in a laundry basket. My little boy, who's, you know, eight, he jumped in my, was playing hide and seek. And he jumped in my laundry basket. He was little enough to do it. And it was empty. And I had an emotional attack. And I screamed. I went ballistic. As the years went on, Joy struggled with how she remembered her past. Her memories of a joyful childhood were being pushed aside, replaced by flashes of violence and fear. She now knew Moses was dead, but she wasn't sure how and where he died. Did her memories of him in that closet hold any clues? 
Could her mother really have had a hand in his death? Joy had never questioned her mother's justifications for the discipline everyone at the House of Prayer accepted. But that was starting to change. Despite all of these questions, Joy still had a close relationship with her mother. But it wasn't easy. They would argue, and as the years went on, they got more heated. We had these huge fights over the kids or anything. Joy remembers a particularly violent one. I was trying to leave. I said, I'm just going home. It's none of your business. I'm going home. Joy and her children were in Anna's home, and they were fighting over the kids. Anna would often undermine Joy's parenting. And she just talked me, like, waist down, talked about me like a dog with my kids right there. And I'm grown. I have my own place. So I'm trying to leave. And she kept blocking me and leave. So finally, I found an opening and I just went under her and pushed through. And when I did, she reached and grabbed me by my hair in front of my kids, ripped out a huge ball spot. It was like, like, like this, this circle right here. Like it was bald to the pink. I mean, I had no hair, like, I mean, bald spot in my head. I wasn't doing it. She was attacking me. And I'm just like this. And she's my mom. And I sort of hurt my mom or hit my mom. And she's attacking me in front of my little children. And then she threw the hair in my face as I'm walking out. At that time, it didn't occur to Joy to call the police on her mother. And her mother was not charged with any kind of assault on her daughter. The one person Joy would talk to about these fights was her sister. I would always confide in my sister Terrence because my sister Terrence was older than me and anyway one day I was talking to her and me and mama got into an argument and I said you know mom is crazy you know she really has a problem he said you know I think she killed brother Moses it was during this conversation with her sister that Joy learned something else that the story about her half-sister Kathy who had disappeared five years before Joy was born was more suspicious than she had grown to believe Authorities in Michigan and the FBI are now reinvestigating Kathy's disappearance and looking into Anna's involvement, which Anna denies. Anna also denies any wrongdoing in Moses' death. This was traumatic. Like, I'd already lived with Moses' ghost or whatever. But then, like, I knew 99% of my being, but then knowing without a shadow of a doubt... That is true, like, you know, how, and I just started looking at everybody differently. It's like, just started like, oh my God, we're just evil people. This was when Joy's life turned upside down. She always knew that she was treated a bit differently at the House of Prayer. She knew she wasn't beaten like the other kids. She wasn't as afraid. Now she's looking back at all of this from a different perspective. This feeling of remorse, regret, and grief, it grew heavier. Until one day in 2016, she was having another fight with her mother, and it all came tumbling out. She grabbed, it was like a floor lamp, like a tall floor lamp, and she grabbed this heavy lamp, and she went to attack me with it. And I pushed her back because I would just... At that point, I was enraged. The fight, the memories, the nightmares, it all became too much. Joy broke. So this time, <laughs> I was done. Like, you're not 
about to attack me. And then I blurted out, out of all the anger, something I said I would never confront her with. The fight continued to escalate until Joy couldn't hold back any longer. She accused her mother of killing Moses. Joy remembers Anna following her outside, yelling as Joy drove away. Then when that argument happens, it's like, it's like I saw it. Like when I blurted out, it's like it flashed my head like, she's not doing this because she's just an over-consuming grandmother. She is Mother Anna. And that's when I blurted out. It's like it's like a, like it felt like a flash of light like waved over my head. And like doing that flash, I just blurted out. You know, because that's it was like it never was that strong before. That fight, that moment, it changed Joy. She couldn't live with the memories, the guilt, the uncertainty any longer. She became obsessed with finding out everything she could about Moses. Joy began to track down former members of the House of Prayer, people who knew Moses and were around when he disappeared. And I said, I need you to be honest with me because this is just, I'm having nightmares. One call was to one of its founding members, a man everyone used to call Brother Thomas. Years later, he would also talk to the police. I said, this is like driving me nuts. I said, did Brother Moses die in my closet? And he said, yes, he did. And I said, and you and your dad buried him. And he said, yes, we did. He said, Joy, it was a sickness down there. I said, I know, Brother Thomas. I said, I'm not judging you. I said, but that sickness still exists. And I see that in my mom today. And he said, I'm sorry to hear that. And then he went and got the phone. And that night, I text my siblings. And I said, Mom really did kill Brother Moses. I said, we got to get Mom help. She needs to go to a mental institution. So you can't change a person that's 75 years old. She'll be 75. You can't change her. She's not, whatever, she's not going to kill anybody now. She's not around kids. I'm like, what? I said, what about the families? What about the people who don't know what happened? I said, what about them? How can I live with myself? Like, I felt like I was accessory to a murder. I just start feeling like just all conflicted and sick. Their family and their memory deserve, deserve justice and deserve closure. I mean, I can't, you can't sweep a human life under the rug. I don't want to pretend like Moses never existed. That feeling, it motivated Joy to dig deeper. Online, she searched for articles, birth notices, death notices, anything that would indicate where Moses might have come from. Who were his people? Why had he come to the house of prayer? Was he legally adopted? What really happened to him? Joy was walking a path that would lead her to uncover more about her mother. It would not be an easy road for anyone. So then I became obsessed with trying to find a Moses Young. I thought it was legally adopted. Obsessed with it. Like it was, I couldn't even do anything. Like I just obsessed going through articles for hours all on the internet, thinking I found people who could look like him and everything and nothing would add up. Finally, I called the clerk of court in Florida and I told them, I said, do you have a record of adoption of Moses Young? He said, you know, adoption records are sealed. 
And so I just broke down crying. I told her what my memory was. And I said, I think he's dead. And I don't know. I said, we have to take care of him. I said, he's my brother. And I was crying. I was like, he's my brother. I didn't take care of him. I said, I didn't do nothing for him. I said, I let him starve. And I could have gave him some bread, some water. And um, and so I told the lady that the clerk let her cork. And she's like, oh, my God. The clerk suggested Joy file a request with Florida's Bureau of Vital Statistics. All sorts of records are kept there including birth and death records, but not adoption records. And Joy was desperate to find out where Moses came from. Adoption records aren't public, and accessing them can be nearly impossible. I said, I have to find them. She goes, well, listen, she said, you go to Violet, I, I, I bet you money they're not going to tell you anything. Because they're still, she said, but if you really think there's a chance he's dead, call the police and tell them, tell them you think he's dead. And they have to do an investigation. They have to look into it. And they can find him. Detective Allen? Yes, this is Joy. I'm sorry. No, that's very clear. That's fine. I appreciate you taking Yeah, I'm just trying to get this. I guess guess I'm trying to get this conversation over with because it's very hard. Joy was on the phone with Detective Kevin Allen. I just really need to get this conversation over with because I... Kevin handles all the old and unsolved cases from the Lachua County Sheriff's Office. This call is being made two days after Christmas in 2016. Let's, um, let's backtrack a little bit. So um, your father's name was Jonah? Joy was turning her mother in, and the fallout from this call would be huge. Family members would stop talking to her. Her motives would be questioned and she would continue to struggle with her own sense of moral responsibility. I mean, I, I, this, this, is, this is driving me crazy. Joy, I know you're, I mean, I, you're I doing the right thing. You don't sound crazy. You just sound like uh, a good human being that witnessed a lot of horrific events, and now at this stage in your life, you're ready to deal with it. Or even if you're not ready to deal with it, you've chosen to deal with it. And the fact that you reached out to us and we just happen to have a cold case detective. Not all agencies do, so I am going to investigate it. This call captured Kevin Allen's full attention. The House of Prayer would be one of the most complicated cases he'd ever worked on. His reports are meticulous. PowerPoints, charts, hours of interviews, lunches with witnesses. He became determined to not only find out what happened to Moses, but he set his sights on everyone at the House of Prayer and everything that happened there. It's like I'm a snitch on my mom. No, I'm not going to do anything like that. I just... No, what I feel like, though, is that what I am? I mean, I just feel horrible. I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Sure, or, you know what you're like, doing? Is this a family? Is this something that a family is supposed to never tell? Like, I don't I think you're doing the right thing, Joy. Uh, You're not making any conclusion. You're passing on information, and maybe it's already been investigated, maybe it's never been investigated, but that's what I do for a living, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Next time on House of Prayer. Joy, do you believe this is where Amy's murdered? She comes out one day and she says that Mar- it's Marcos or it's me. And she says that he needs to be sent over to Puerto Rico because that's where he's from. His father was Puerto Rican. 
and he needs to go back to Puerto Rico. This podcast was produced by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, Max Miller, and me, Leela Day. Our associate producer is Alexis Green. Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Additional reporting by Laura Isabel Gonzalez and Damon Fairless. Executive producing by Kathleen Goldhar, Beth Karras, and myself. Our UCP audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Laulangi, Susanna Rooney, and Linda Cohen. This is a UCP Audio podcast. For more information, go to our website, ucpaudio.com. 